Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing all right. Um, my name is Philip. Uh, if you don't know who I am, and that was Daniel Lamb, and he was leading worship this morning. He is also doing an internship, at least um, during this semester in school here at the church, and so he's going to be uh, doing some things for us as a result of that internship. And so he'll be helping with some small group stuff and, and an outreach event that we have with that church that we've restarted and, and stuff like that. So very excited about that. Um, he is working on his MDiv. And this is one of the final, is this one of the final things in the MDiv, right? Graduate in May. Graduate in May. So, yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's a 90 credit hour uh, degree, master's degree. So a lot of work there. I just need a little bit more light in the room. So I can see the lovely faces of the people. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, the lovely faces. There you go. Do what? Yeah, we already heard you. We knew you were here. Yeah. I already heard that. Huh? Yeah, but when, aren't, aren't you the one that yelled when he was baptized? Like you, yeah, well, your son is saying you did. So liars go to Farmington Methodist. That's just a joke, by the way. So it's just a, yeah. All right. I would like you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. That's where we're today. Um, the Olympics are this year, and I think they're in July-ish. Um, my wife loves the Olympics, loves the Olympics. What I watch, I, I watch, I watch the Olympics because she's watching the Olympics, and and, and it's nice. It's not one of my favorite things, but I watch it with her, and it's, it's a good time. But one of the things that I have been amazed with, which is a lot of things, those athletes are absolutely incredible, but is synchronized swimming. It is, is crazy to me how they synchronize together and in their same rhythm as they're going. It, it's mind-boggling. I can't swim so it's probably a little more mind-boggling to me than it is the normal person that can actually swim in the water. But I, it's kind of interesting to me. But one step beyond that is synchronized diving. Like when they're doing the same thing, right? And then I'm listening to the people and they're saying, well, well, number three was a little off a little bit with that turd. And, you know, they slow it down and you could see the little minute offness in the synchronized swimming. And I'm watching it for the first time saying, gold. That's awesome. I mean, it looked like perfect. Did they just break it down to something worse? Like, you know, that, you know, synchronized. And it takes two for synchronized swimming. I've never seen synchronized swimming in four, like, right? Well, there's synchronized swimming and there's synchronized diving, Right? I've seen synchronized swimming in the Olympics. No? Have I watched the wrong? Okay, so I'm doing both. Synchronized swimming, meaning diving seems to be harder. Is, is the compare? Okay. Wow. This did not happen in the first service. A lot of critical people of the second one. Yeah, making sure I get, the, get my analogy right, I just, I, I'm having fun. But yeah, I hope I said that right. Diving, yeah, anyway. It's amazing to me how that happens, and it takes two. Um, and I don't think there's four. Like, I've never seen four people dive. That would be phenomenal. 
I'm submitting that to the committee, whoever that is. Uh, as of Monday, I'll submit that to see if they'll do synchronized quadruple diving. That would be awesome. Like, see four people do that? Yeah. Okay, anyway. All right. So anyway, we're in Matthew chapter 7, and I want to start reading with verse uh, 13. It says this, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. A couple of very obvious things about this passage of Scripture. First, there are two gates and no more. There's not a medium gate somewhere in between. There is a wide gate and a narrow gate. It's just two gates and no more. No more than two. Um, the gates are both open. They're both open. The wide gate is wide open and the narrow gate is wide open too, even though it's a narrow thing. Both gates are open, both gates. And everybody in this room is either going down the wide, through the wide gate, or they are going through the narrow gate and following the narrow path. There's no in-between. In other words, there's no gray area. There's no gray gate where you can mix the two. These two gates do not synchronize with themselves because they're always off. The way of life over here in the wide gate is remarkably different than the narrow gate that you would walk through and you would obey and you, know, you, would, you would follow that way. Remarkably different. So there's no synchronization between the two gates. They are totally different, totally different lifestyles, totally different views of the world, totally different purposes, totally different. They do not synchronize together. They are single. It is this wide gate and it's this narrow gate. Um, it says, enter by the narrow gate for their gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Um, and those who enter it are many. I would submit to you this morning that everybody that has ever been born comes into the world through the wide gate. Everybody has sinned. Everybody is in the wide gate. And if God touches your heart through someone witnessing to you, you will have a choice to go through the narrow gate. Unless someone goes and tells people about the narrow gate and its existence, the many will not find the narrow gate. It will be lost to them because the gate is wide. And I don't know where the narrow gate is, well, I do. I've been through it. But I mean, I don't know where it is when you're in the white, but you can't tell where it is unless somebody shows you and points you to that narrow gate. It is wide. In fact, the wide gate, you can't miss it. You can't miss the wide gate. You can miss the narrow one, but you cannot miss the wide gate. The narrow gate is very hard to find. So why, why is the narrow gate hard to find? What makes it hard to find? Well, a couple of things. Um, the influence of other people. Easton Melton was saved today 
because he had influences in his life that pointed him to the narrow gate. His parents have brought him up in the scriptures and in church. His brother pointed him to the Savior, and he accepted the Savior. There was influence in that particular direction. There are other influences in this life that doesn't do that. They influence you to stay in the wide gate and live in the wide way. That, that's the influences, and some people follow those. But in his case, he saw the narrow gate, and he actually went through it, and now he's on the narrow path. Is everybody with me? So this gate is wide, and you can miss the narrow gate because of influence. People will influence you that it doesn't exist or take your mind off of it and push you in a different direction. Influences in your life. Um, influences of certain pleasures that you have that you shouldn't have will make you miss the narrow gate. Certain things in your life. There's stuff outside your life that will influence you, not just friends, not just family. It's outside stuff. Um, there, so I'm, I'm not preaching against music, so I don't want you to take this th- that this way, but there's some rap music that doesn't point you toward the narrow gate. There's some rock and roll music that doesn't point you toward the narrow gate. There's some country music. <laughs> that doesn't point you toward the narrow gate. Right? There, there's some movies, some TV shows that doesn't point you toward the narrow gate. They are influencing you to stay in the wide gate. And you need to be aware of it. You need to be aware of it. And so I'm not saying that we should all bring our cassettes and albums out here and burn them because most of us have subscriptions. And so that would mean our phones, right? And I wouldn't do that anyway. But what I am telling you is when you hear something, you need to measure it by the narrow gate and not the wide one. And not just so readily accept it because it influences the way that you think. It influences the the path that you're taking. Other influences are politics, influence you to be either in the wide gate or the narrow gate. Um, Schools influence you to be in the wide gate or the narrow gate. Your TV programs influence you to be the wide gate or the narrow gate. And of those three, I can't see very many in that area that influence you to go to the narrow. They're usually pointing you to the wide. So we have to be aware that there's, there's just a lot of influences that can cause us to miss the narrow path. There's a lot of influences that can cause us to miss the narrow gate. And we, we just need to be aware of that. Um, don't throw anything at me, but the narrow gate is not that attractive. It's just not that attractive. There's a man on a cross that has been beaten, that has shed his blood, and it's just not attractive. It's love, but it's not attractive. It's not something that you would gravitate toward unless you realize that you are a sinner and you need a savior, and he's paying the penalty for your sins on that cross. And then all of a sudden, it's not attractive. It is something you need, not that you're attracted to It's something that you're compelled toward because you need his forgiveness so that you will not wind up one day in the ultimate destruction down the road. Everybody with me? 
So you're compelled to go to Jesus, but he's not beautiful. It's not a beautiful picture. It's, not, it's only after the cross that it becomes beautiful. Jesus rises from the dead so that you can have life because the narrow path is basically as narrow as the cross of Christ. And once you receive Jesus as your savior, you step through that into new life and into the resurrected life, which is also on a narrow path. So it's, it's not very attractive, not very attractive at all but it's needed. Some of, the, some of the things in life, you know, that we participate in are just not that attractive, that are good for us, like salad. <laughs> right? Salad. You, you put a Chick-fil-A fried and grease sandwich beside a salad, and I would have choose the Chick-fil-A badness right there. It, pizza beside salad, I'm probably going to go with pizza. Yeah, I had a birthday yesterday, but I'm going to eat as long as I can, right? So, so it's not always attractive. What, what is good for you? So sometimes we, we need to realize that we need to be, what is needed is what we need to go for. We need to be compelled to do it for health. Um, the narrow gate shapes you. The wide gate allows you to be any shape you want to be. Any shape you want to be. The choice is yours. You just choose. Whatever you want, you can do it. Whatever you want to be, you can do it. You can deny all kinds of facts, right? And still choose to be something that you could never be, but you choose to be it. And somehow you deceive yourself into thinking that you're becoming it because you chose it. Is everybody tracking? You you just choose. So you can be anything you want to be. The narrow gate says you can't be anything you want to be because when you go through that gate, you're on a narrow path that forms you and shapes you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the narrow gate that leads you to life. It is the wide gate that leads you to destruction. So you can be anything you want to be, but it's not going to work out too well. There's destruction ahead. Or you can be what Jesus wants you to be and find life abundantly. But it's narrow and it shapes you. It makes you a certain shape. Um. I can, I can choose to preach anything I want to preach. I can choose to preach anything I want to preach. Anything. So I could choose to do what some other people do and take concepts and, and things and concepts and philosophies and doctrine from the wide gate and then take that and present it to you. I can do that. I have the choice to do that. Or I can choose to just preach a very narrow message from a very narrow book that never changes and let that be what I draw everything that I preach out of. I can choose to either do the narrow 
or I can do the wide. If I was to choose the wide way, I would be preaching destruction into all of your lives. I would be. There's no way around it. I take the concepts here, preach them there, and it's just to make people feel good or it's just to kind of do the cultural thing of the day and push that narrative, push that morality, push that. I would be preaching destruction to you and causing destruction to happen in your life. But if I stick with the narrow way and preach only the narrow things, every time I preach from the scriptures, it brings you life if you accept it. So I made a decision that I'm not gonna preach the wide stuff. I don't care how compelling it is. I don't care how, how um, drawn people want me to be to it, if they wanna shape me in that particular way, if they want me to do it. I don't, I don't care because I am called to preach the narrow book and the narrow way and what it says goes. That means that everything that I say is guided by that book. It has to be. And if, it, and if I say something that is against the book, well, I have the responsibility to correct it. Now, if I say something that hurts somebody's feelings, I don't have to correct that. I don't have to correct that. Because sometimes truth hurts. Sometimes truth hurts. I've never targeted anybody when I'm preaching. I just preach what's there because it's the narrow gate. But the narrow gate and the narrow way sometimes makes you just a little bit uncomfortable. And that's a good thing because it's, it's narrow, right? But sometimes if I preach something wrong or teach something wrong, I have to make a correction because the word of God didn't say that. I'm going to give you an example, okay? In fact, unfortunately, this just happened in our last Bible study. Now, I don't know if you watched it online or you heard it on the podcast or if you watched it, uh, you know, on YouTube or whatever, or if you were here, I do know the people that were here, um, but, but here's what happened. It was a Bible study on demons from Mark chapter five. Yeah, I was blown away by how much Mark chapter five talked about demons, in fact. But in that Bible study, I said this, the demons requested of Jesus for him not to send them out of the country. And so what I did was I took it in the sense of they didn't want to go out of their demonic territory into another territory. They didn't want, they liked their territory and they just wanted to live there. And if you listen to the Bible study, you know what I'm talking about at this point. Well, that is wrong. That's not what they were requesting. Um, is there territories that demons have all over the world and they're territorial? Absolutely. They have certain places and they protect those certain places and that's where they do battle. Absolutely. They're assigned to different places in the world. There's no mistaking. But that particular scripture was not talking about that. So here's what happened. I, I taught that, recorded that lesson on Tuesday. It showed up on Wednesday on YouTube and then our podcast. And then I taught it that, that Wednesday night teaching absolutely what was wrong because that's not what the demons were saying. On Thursday, um, in my devotions, as I'm reading through the scripture, I read about that story in Matthew and found out, and this is something that I knew of this, that they were asking, actually requesting him not to send them to the abyss. So it had nothing to do with country at all. So I did not teach that correctly. So in Mark, the way you interpret that particular scripture is, I don't want to be sent out of the country, is actually, I don't want to be sent out of this world into the abyss to be 
destroyed and it fixed in the context. I totally missed that context. So this morning and probably even in our Bible study on Tuesday and Wednesday, I'm going to make a point to say that just to correct it. Because my teaching has to be molded according to the word of God and not according to what I just thought about the passage. Are you tracking? So churches mess up when they teach the wide way. Churches do not mess up when they teach the narrow way. So when someone says that I'm narrow-minded, I own it. Yes, I'm narrow-minded. Absolutely. And I'm not even bashful about it. It doesn't even embarrass me. I know you want me to have an open mind and consider other things. I don't need to consider other things because I have found life in Jesus. And what you are telling me is I can find life somewhere else. And I'm telling you that is death because broad is the way that leads to destruction. But narrow is the way that leads to life. Amen? So that brings us to my wife's favorite subject here as of late, skiing. Don't show it yet. Skiing, yeah. My wife has just fallen in love with skiing. She loves to ski. She's good at it. She's very good at it. She's really good. So for Christmas this year, she asked me to get her a backpack where you could put your skis, your helmet, and your boots inside of it which I responded, Nicole, you don't even have a helmet, and that is a problem, okay? If you know her, you know what I'm talking about. It's just a problem. But she doesn't have a helmet, and she, she, so, she, so I bought her this backpack right here. So it's big. So she has her skis on the side, and she has her boots in it. She doesn't have a helmet in, and what she found out was it was way too big. Like, she wanted a convenience of just, you know, going to the ski lodge with everything on, you know, you know, I just have this vision that that's how women think, but anyway, it doesn't matter. So, you know, they're just kind of, you know, oh, it's just going to be great. It's going to be cute. Um, sorry. Sorry. My wife would never walk like that. Anyway, um, and, and so, yeah, so she said, I've got to take this back. I, I can't do this. This is too much. Like, I, I've got the skis on my side. I got my boots in here. It's just weighing me down. I'm just not going to be able to do this. And so she said, do you have the receipt? <laughs> Throwback. <laughs> Throwback time right there. Throwback. And I said, no, but I did put it in the side pocket because I figured that you'd be taking that back. So she took it back, got the money for it. Now she's going to get the bag that she wants. But anyway, she had to see that she couldn't, it just wasn't what she thought it would be. And I think sometimes in life, we grab a hold of sin, and we find out that it's just not what we thought it would be. And so we have to get rid of it. You see, the narrow gate is narrow, and I'll do it this way. The narrow gate is narrow. And so if I'm coming to the narrow gate, I'm going to have to move in order to get through, right? I'm going to have to move in order to get through. Well, what if my bag won't let me go through it? What if Jesus requires me to get rid of my bag? What if Jesus would put it 
kind of like this. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. What if in getting through the gate, I have to take off my bag in order to squeeze through it and leave that behind? What if there's some things in my life that just aren't supposed to be with me after I receive Jesus as their Savior? And I would say, yeah, because the narrow gate and the narrow path shapes you. But this is what we do. And we bring our bag through the narrow gate. It's just not on our backs. So we begin to go down the narrow road with whatever we didn't want to give up. Right? And so what happens, you need to back up for this, what happens is somewhere along the way, God puts something in your narrow path that makes you, and you fall, and you get released from the bag. And you're like, oh my goodness, I really should quit that sin. I, I should really quit that passion, that evil desire. I, I really should quit that. Lord, please forgive me. And, and what we did, we asked for forgiveness and then we put that toe right back in that, that bag and we drag it along. We just have it with us. And then God put something else in our, our pathway because it's a narrow path. We can't go around what he puts in front of us. Have you ever had that happen? I can't avoid it. It's a narrow path. I'm saved. There it is. I'm still doing this. And we fall again. And man, we get released from the bag. And we're like, Lord, please forgive me. And we forgive. And we kind of walk a little while. And, and then we kind of act like we're walking forward, but we go backwards. Ever done that? Oh, there it is. Oh, I feel so much better. And then you fall again. So you get tired of falling. You get tired of, of this happening. And God's trying to get you to get rid of this bag. So what you do, because it hurts to fall from a tall place, you begin to crawl because it's easier. Like if I, if I fall this time, it's not going to hurt as much. Right? Because we all find ways to do sin that won't hurt us that much. We adjust it. <laughs> right? I won't do it as much. I won't watch that as much. I won't take that as much. I won't say that as much. You ever done that before? That's when you're crawling. I don't do it as much as I used to, but I still do it. <laughs> Is everybody with me in the room? So that's when you're crawling, but you're still pulling that bag and you're looking and it's ridiculous. And then God puts something in the pathway where you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to climb over it. It'd have been a lot easier if you were just walking. But he wants you to have life, so he puts something. And so when you crawl over it, you have the choice to get over it and leave the bag there or intentionally pick the bag up. And what he's trying to get you to do is just leave it behind and walk on the narrow road and let it shape you instead of being tied down to something that is so easily besetting you. Right? And at this point, I'm not talking about the people on the wide road. 
I'm talking about the people that found the gate. And they just for some reason don't think Jesus and his way is sufficient enough because they really like that. And they want, it, they want that with him. You leave it behind. As Christians and believers, for some reason, I'm out of breath. Woo! Too many birthdays. <sighs> Too many birthdays. For some reason, we just keep going back. You know what? For my birthday, my wife always makes me, and I told you this before, it just comes up every year because I'm so excited about it. And somehow, I'll work it into the sermon. She makes a five-flavored pound cake with six-flavored icing that is to die for. There's only one other pound cake that comes even close to it, and I can't tell you what that is because it might be sinful. So here's, here's this, this cake, and let me tell you, it, it is amazing. It is amazing, but it is not good for me. It's not good for me. It's hard for me to say those words. The cake is not good for me. We are at dinner with my parents on Friday evening, and we're talking about this cake, and Nicole starts saying how many cups of sugar is in the cake. Confectionery and regular sugar. So I'm just going to lump them all together. Is that okay? Because I might get the things off, you know. She tells my family that there's nine and a half cups of sugar in that cake. Nine and a half cups of sugar. This explains why I'm in, co in, in a coma, like in the end of January, beginning of February. I'm eating this cake. It's putting me to sleep. It, it absolutely, nine and a half cups of sugar. So on the way home, Cole's in the car with me because that's how we like it. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I said, Nicole, just... Nine and a half cups of sugar. I'm trying to wrap my mind around that. Like a, a Duncan Hines box cake. How many cups of sugar does that have? Does anybody know in the room? Anybody know? Yeah, she didn't either. But she said, I think it's about maybe around a cup, cup and a half, somewhere in the, in the box thing. And then you make the ice, icing. And so a chocolate cake that she makes at home is generally around four cups of sugar in, in the cake one she makes at home. And I like that cake too, just not as much as the other one. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, that, that is double the amount of sugar in my five flavored, six flavored, it, it's, yeah, but it's so worth it. Oh, it's so worth it. I love that cake. And I'm gonna go home this afternoon, have lunch, and I'm gonna have me a piece. I'm gonna take a nap and then I'm going to come to a business meeting this evening. We're going to do our thing here. And right before I go to bed, I'm going to have another piece of cake. <laughs> because cake is good. Right? Cake is good. And I always gain, this explains this nine cups of sugar. It explains why I gain between four and six pounds around my birthday. Right? It totally explains that. But I'm going to have cake because I love that cake. It is, it is so good. Ladies and gentlemen, I have sin in my life that I love. <laughs> I have sin in my life that I just like to experience. I have sin in my life that, in my life that I'm tempted with that I'm like, man, it would just be, oh, 
just to do it one more time, just one more time, if I could just do it one more time and I convinced myself that it's okay, that somehow or another it would be okay if I did this one more time. But every time I do the sins that I'm not supposed to do, that I love to do, it turns out to be destructive. Something isn't right. It's a lot of fun while I'm partaking, but after it's over, there's destruction. It's not good. It's not good at all. Whereas it is kind of an innocent thing, unless I have health issues, which I don't yet, maybe one day, I can have my cake, right, and and be just fine because it's only one time a year. Sin is totally different. We want to sin. We like to sin. And at some level, we have to admit that we love our demon bag. We love our demon bag. We love to have it with us. We love to participate in it. We love it to be a part of our lives, but it is destructive. And we have to let it go. We just have to let it go. So what I have to do, and I think what you have to do too, is you have to be honest None of us as Christians want to say that we love to sin, but ladies and gentlemen, it's truthful to say you love to sin. You love it, or you wouldn't do it. If you hated it, you wouldn't be doing it. There's something about it that attracts you to it. There's something about it. He has your number and you start doing it. You love to sin. And what I have to do and what you have to do as well to stay on the narrow road is to say, Lord, I love that sin. Help me not do it. Help me leave it aside. Help me leave it out there. Help me not do it because I really feel like I want to do it. I want to do it right now. I love to do it. But what I desire more than that is to have life in you. Because I have tasted the life of the narrow road and it is awesome. There's something pure about it. It leads to life. After I participate in the life of the narrow road, I don't look back on it and regret that I did it. I don't feel bad that I've lived the life that Jesus Christ has shown me to live on the narrow road. I'm always happy that I was able to live the life on the narrow road. If I do this, I'm just happy for a moment and then I regret it. And it's preventing me from having more life in Christ. And so what I have to do is, yes, I love that, but that isn't good for me. What is good for me is to follow the narrow path, follow the narrow book, and live exactly the way it tells me to live. Amen? But it isn't easy, is it? This passage says that um, for the gate that is narrow And the way, uh, wait, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. It takes work for your pastor to stay on the narrow road. And it takes work for you, right? It takes work. The easy way is you just say, I'll just do anything I want to and I'll be just fine. And you shape yourself. The hard way is to say, okay, what does Jesus need to teach me today to shape me into his image and the way that he wants me to live? That's 
the hard thing. That is the battle. And it's a battle because your friends don't understand it. Your culture doesn't understand it. Your teachers in school don't understand it. There's people out there that thinks you're crazy and you're just narrow-minded and, and there's a lot of pressure out there. It is, it is very hard and your flesh just doesn't want to accept it. But it is what you need to be doing. So I'm gonna end with this. God is up in heaven saying, yes, you can to you. Yes, you can. He does. He's given you and I the freedom of choice. The freedom of choice. I want to live in the wide, in between the wide gate. I want to do some of these wide things. And God says, yes, you can. You can do that. He also says that if I'm over here saying, I want to live on the narrow path, he says, yes, you can. And I'll help you with it. I'll help you with this. Anything that you decide to do, anything that you decide to be, any activity that you want to participate in, God is in heaven saying, yes, you can. But the backside of his yes, I can is, you can do it, but that might lead to destruction. You can do it, but that will lead to life. For instance, <clears throat> I really think I need to lie here because I need to cover up some stuff that I... I've done, and so the best way to cover up what I've done is I'm gonna lie to this individual about it. Now, you don't really have that going through your mind, but that's the reason you lie to people to cover up stuff, right? And so you make that choice in that moment. And the moment you make that choice, you have lived in between the wide gate that leads to destruction. Because lying is wrong, even if she says, doesn't make me look fat. It's wrong to lie, okay? To tell the truth is harder. But the moment I go through, do I tell them the truth? How do I tell them the truth? Do I, how am I gonna tell them the truth? The moment I make a decision to tell the truth and God's saying, yes, you can, is the moment that I tell the truth and I grab a hold of life that that truth brings. Is everybody with me? You might be thinking, oh, man, I am so upset. I'm so angry, and I'm just going to lash out at that person. God's up in heaven saying, yes, you can. You can do that. But know this, that leads to destruction. Or you can be over here thinking, hey, I'm upset at that person. I'm bringing this under control, and I need to approach them. How can I approach them through the love of Christ? And God is up in heaven saying, yes, you can, and, but that leads to life. You can do anything you want to do because you have the freedom of choice. But you need to know this. Every choice you make either leads you toward destruction or it leads you toward life. And you need to make the decisions that lead your, yourself toward life. Amen? That's what you need to do. Do not, do not go outside of the narrow way. It is old-fashioned, but it leads to life. And all the new stuff leads to destruction. Amen? Right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, first of all, 
You know, I said this a few moments ago to you. Thank you for just two, two ways that we don't have to somehow go on a, a journey to figure out which way you want us to take. Um, thank you for just the simplicity of two ways. A wide and a, and a narrow one. And Father, they may, there may be some people in this room, I don't know, that have never received you as their personal savior. They have never taken the step through the narrow gate at all. They've been told about it. They were told about it this morning. They know it's there now. Your Holy Spirit has draw, drawn them to that message, has led them to that message. It's working on their heart even as I speak this prayer. I pray that you'll continue to work on their hearts and that you'll continue to push them toward that narrow gate and this morning will be the morning where they choose to go through it, where they choose to ask forgiveness of their sins. They choose to ask you to be their savior. We want that. We want to see that. It's It's an amazing miracle. Father, there are other people in this room as well and I don't know. Maybe they on the narrow path, but are still trying to live like they're in the wide gate. They keep stumbling and stumbling and stumbling. They keep dragging and dragging and dragging that same old sin over and over and over again. And this is the day that you want to give them freedom. And I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll convict their heart. You'll make the path seem very narrow. You'll squeeze them a little bit so that they can come to a decision to let go of that passion, of that desire that is sinful, that is so easily besetting them. So help them step out of that sin. Help them to quit dragging it along with them so that they can find out that your life is more abundant than they ever realized and more valuable than that sin that they love so much. So Father, we leave that in this moment. And you work as only you can. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing and the altar is open for you if you need it. I'm here also to pray with you.